episode 48 of Amateur Hour, you now are part of our community and we don't even have to ask you to subscribe. We don't have to ask you to follow because we know you're a part of things, though I'm sure you saw this out there shared and you thought I'd give this a listen. I think what makes our podcast fun as we uh, now are getting going in the 2024 college baseball season, it's here, it's rolled out, we're starting, is the mind of the top guy, the mind of the top player that is going to hopefully uh, in July of 2024 in Arlington, Texas, have their lives changed forever. Uh, that's the draft. That's this podcast. You would think, well, how do you do that? How do you have two a month college players? Won't you run out? You, seriously, you've got to be kidding me. There's no way you run out. The, the depth chart is there. And especially when you pick someone who isn't within that top 24 doing the simple math number. If you're doing two a month or biweekly, maybe you do 26. The, the, you know, the top 52 players, because right outside of that amongst college players is where Jay Wolfolk stands. By the way, my co-host, Danny Wexelman, is the producer of this show. I'm Darren Sutton to be more formal to introduce you, but we're just kind of picking back up the conversation. Um, Danny, why I think Jay is someone, um, obviously, I don't like to comp humans to stocks, but why he's so exciting and he's a buy for so many is he's finally put the football down. And gosh, in high school, it was disgusting what he was able to do with a football as we, you know, or have the Super Bowl in our rearview mirror and we all talk football. But he was the quarterback. He was the running back. He was the wide receiver. He was the defensive back. No, not all at once. I know the sport well enough to know that. But that's how amazing he was. So we took that to Virginia where he played baseball. Um, but then he's focused. I love your conversation with Jay. I think it's incredible. Thank you for doing it. I couldn't make it. I listened to every word of it. You folks will love it. Um, oh, by the way, dad was a Hall of Fame basketball player. Oh, by the way, mom's an amazing, you know, insurance mogul in the insurance industry who never stops working. Sis plays college basketball, like such a great family. But I love the fact that he's decided that, look, I'm a baseball player. I'm a pitcher. Football put, put aside now. And he's a mid-90s guy already. Look, he threw 90 at 95 at Jupiter in 2020 during the pandemic. That Jupiter. Um, so time to rise, man. I, I know, like, the, the most recent PG draft board had him at 215. That's sixth or seventh round. Of all the people we'll have on, this guy may have the highest chance to bounce from there up into the top two or three rounds. I am so excited about Jay. When you are a two-sport athlete at the Division I level, you are made of something different. And I walked away from the conversation and I, I texted you right away. And I just felt like I had a conversation with a guy who gave it his absolute all, his whole heart for two years doing both. And then realized this past summer, after having so many wonderful experiences in the game, feeling validated in the game through different places that he was ready to commit and and it was a nervous moment it was an exciting moment he he had kind of been thinking about it a little bit and he brought it up to his advisor and then later in the summer brought it up to his family to make the decision and i walked away feeling smarter feeling confident in who he is and how his mechanics have pr proved to be more consistent how what he can do is better right and so the decision keeps paying off and paying off and paying off and and for jay a kid who who was really respected in the football realms and i know that is a tough loss for for virginia football to have because you're losing a guy who's knowledgeable who's 
who's been there for a while, who understands the system, who's trustworthy, who's a great kid, who's wildly talented, and you're losing him. And so that's a big deal. Now he's going to get a chance to give it his all. And the way that he spoke about Brian O'Connor and this program and what they've done for him and why he can put all his trust in the program, right? I think it would be a different story if maybe he didn't feel that way towards his head coach or towards the staff or towards his teammates. But this guy loves them like a family. And now he gets a chance to put all his attention to baseball. And how lucky are we to get to see a full season? He's now had a full summer, a full fall of all baseball. And I cannot wait to see him rock this this spring. Jay's college career, 71 and two-thirds innings, 93 strikeouts, and that's being a part-timer. I loved how he shared with you, you know, the the tricking of the body and the mind where, you know, it'd be something football-related uh, in, in, in different times of the year on a Tuesday, then a midweek game, and, you know, you're taking things. You know, that's what makes the, the Bo Jackson, Deion Sanders stories exceptional. But let's remember, those are old men now. Those are Those are old stories, old men. They're exceptional. That's why it's... It's Shohei's one thing, but doing two sports elite at another with the, the way the look, the way you, athletes evaluate themselves now, the science that goes into being an athlete, I, I can't imagine doing two. I, I can't. It's and it's heroic. It's heroic that you would try it. But I think back then, without the science, you had to be more simple minded to be Dion and Bo Jackson. You had to be. There's just too much availability of the science and the the evaluation ways to better. That's why all baseball players, talent-wise, are all better than they were 20 years ago um, at the elite level. So Jay's great. I, I love it. Um, you know, was going to be a quarterback, played nine total games there, minimal statistics, and again, in the right place, certainly, for, for baseball. Then there's there's Carson Bench at Oklahoma State. So we go from Virginia to Oklahoma State. Um, this, for me, was a fun one because I always love – Hearing the athlete, and I think Shohei, I'll go back to him, coming through the other side of Tommy John, like being a completely different player. Having that time to stop when these athletes never stop, especially like a Carson Benj in high school, UConn, Oklahoma, uh, travel ball, all those things, you don't stop. Um, that's not a statement of judgment. You just don't. So when you have Tommy John surgery, you have to stop. Now, you don't stop working out, but you can't, certain parts of your body you're completely protective of. You change your body altogether when you rehab. If you're, if you're worth a darn, if you, if, you, if, you, if you have any work ethic, you change your body completely because you're like, well, I can't do certain parts of my, so I'll double down on other parts. The core gets a million times better. The legs suddenly are, are different, you know, asset for your body. And then the muscle of the mind. And that's the big thing. Because I think a lot of times you do mindlessly go through things as a young travel ball player. You, you gain what you can. But all of a sudden, man, you're sitting on the bench. You're watching D1 baseball. You're utilizing Josh Holliday's system and world to, to grow all the tricks and traits and tools that they have at their hands. So this is a story to me. Look, he went 345, 468, 538, triple slash. I'm stuck on his walks. 42 compared to his strikeouts, 32. That's a joke. And now this is a guy with an elite arm, too. He's going to be a, a, a guy that does both ways as a player for now. But this is a guy that's a first-rounder. Whereas we had Jay, 215 in the draft, and his stock should rise. Um, for Carson, PG's most recent draft has him at, at number 20 on the draft boards overall. That's in the first round. When you think about this guy, I don't know if the first thing you're going to think about is, oh, he's, he looks like he's a two-way guy. He looks like he's dominant in both ways. And then you watch him do it. 
And I think that he changes the profile a little bit about what you have to look like maybe to be able to do it because he's really fast. He's got the speed. He's got the patience. He has all these external tools, I feel like, that we don't really think about when we think about a two-way guy. And so for him to be able to flash both sides, but to have learned how to harness and be better at both, I think is what is really impressive in the way that he speaks about that. You can tell that it wasn't easy, but he did want to take the time to learn and to understand. And you're so right that a lot of guys don't get that chance to sit and learn it. It kind of, it, it, you know, it makes me think of, you know, Wyatt Langford wasn't a two-way guy, but he sat his freshman year and he learned a lot at Florida, right? And, and increased his draft stock, but just guys who have to sit and learn a little bit more. I really like this guy. I'm really excited. I don't know what he's going to profile as, right? Like, I don't, I don't know that, but come draft time, I do think a lot of people are going to be excited about him. And we know what Josh Holiday does at his program. And we know why Oklahoma state has the reputation that it does. And I feel like this kid fits that profile perfectly. He's gritty. He wants it. And he, he speaks about his school. Like he loves it. It is the most important thing to him. So I, I enjoyed the conversation with him. All right, we've buttoned this thing up just a little bit because you're watching as well on Perfect Game TV and getting it wherever you get your podcast and you're listening. So now, let's start this edition of Amateur Hour. And now our conversation with Jay Wolfolk. Danny, as a matter of fact, covered for me. I, I couldn't make it. Virginia, and again, 71 and two-thirds innings, 93 strikeouts in his career in 59 games off the mound. In 2020, Jupiter, the World Woodbat Association World Championship, it was played in Fort Myers. That was pandemic time. He threw 95 for Baseball U. That was his travel team. Here's Danny's conversation with a riser, if there's ever been one, Jay Wolfel. Okay. I am so, so excited. I am so grateful for your time. Um, I know that we are like minutes away, it feels like, from the season, which is so exciting. Um, I want to look ahead, but I, I want to go back first. And I obviously know that the big story is you and, and and committing your time to baseball. And then I think you must have had such wonderful experiences um, doing both and, and getting the chance to do both. Um, so I just like to hear first, like some of your favorite things about being a dual athlete at a division one program. Yeah, I think my favorite thing was just having like that connection between football and baseball, you know, just the different type of like people, I guess you could say, um, you know, you all around, they're still your brothers, no matter if it's baseball or football, but you know, you have different type of lifestyles, you know, on the football team than you do in the baseball team, you know, and it's, it's like different cultures. And I'm like, I'll, the biggest thing was I was glad I got to like experience a culture around a whole football team and then going to baseball and experiencing the culture around the baseball team, you know, and it was just like fun to like compare them and like how are they different, how are they similar, you know, but it was also best thing is like, we're still all a whole entire family when at the end of the day, you know, just the main goal is the main goal. Just we all worked hard. But I guess that was like the the best thing was to just be able to compare the different type of like cultures between the two. So that was probably my favorite thing. That's a great answer. Do you feel like there is something from football that makes you a better baseball player? Oh, yes. Uh, definitely like mindset wise, just, you know, being on the mat. I, I kind of like say like a quarterback is basically a pitcher. Um, so it's like. I kind of look at it like, hey, you throw an interception, you know, you got to forget about it. You know, got to come back the next drive and score. And I think that's like a, on the baseball field, you know, you let up a home run, you know, you got to come back the next batter and, you know, get him out any way you can. So you can't like dwell on the bad. So 
I kind of, you know, I always compare the both of them. So that's how I kind of like looked at quarterback and pitching. Have you been able to maybe evolve that skill? Because that's like a skill, right? That's a practice skill. It is a muscle, I feel like, that we talk more and more about. So from freshman year to now, like how has that part of your game evolved? Yeah, it's, it's evolved a lot. Um, but most of it's come from experience, you know, getting put in those type of situations, you know, you know, your base is loaded one out, you get put in, you get thrown in the fire like that, you know, it teaches you how to like overcome those bad and overcome like what you need to work on and everything. So I think it's evolved in good ways. Um, but you know, everything also doesn't go your way all the time. So how can you come back from those bad outings or how can you come back from that interception that you throw? So like I said, that mindset has evolved just because of being in those moments. Mm-hmm. The juxtaposition too of the two sports is so interesting, right? The the high intensity of football, right? People are coming at you and, and there's split second decisions being made. And in baseball, you have a little more time to think, right? But it all, I feel like it's all the same. Either way you split it. Do you feel that way too? Oh yeah, definitely. Like, like you said, on the field, when you have those D linemen coming at you to kill you. Um, you, you don't have that much time to really think. Um, you just kind of, it's almost, it's almost like you got to know before the play, you know, mm-hmm. before it even happens, you got to know what's going to happen. And I think, you know, you could take that kind of mindset to bring it over to baseball. Yes. You don't have nobody coming to kill you, but <laughs> um, you also got to, you know, got to think like, Hey, if I hit this spot, this is going to happen type, you know, things like that. Um, you can know before it happens. And, like I said, it's not always going to be like that. Obviously, you know, it's it's game of sports. Sports always doesn't go your way. But if you have that type of mindset that you know what you're going to do before the pitch even happens, then I think you'll be a you know pretty successful player. So mm. that's how I kind of looked at it and how I kind of, you know, how I pitch on the mound. Mm. We're going to talk about that in a second. But I, I did want to ask you kind of just to put a bow on that decision you made. Who helped you make the decision. Tell me about some of the people and some of the conversations. Cause I feel like those people have to be your inner circle, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, obviously like my family was, uh, my family and my agent was kind of the first people to ever know like that. I want to make that decision. Um, yeah, you know, late nights just talking to them about, you know, I, I wasn't even like, kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do it until like USA, like the end of USA. I didn't know, but I proposed like the idea to my agent first, um, just cause you know, like he knows how everything, you know, works and everything. So I was like, you know, maybe this is the, but I'm not going to make the decision yet. Um, then, you know, got invited to USA and then I, I proposed it to my family after that. And I was like, you know, maybe let's just try to make the team first and then we'll go at that. And then I made the team and I was like, okay, this might be, <laughs> that's how I was kind of like, this might be your route. And I remember sitting in the hotel with a Griff, Griff O'Farrell because yeah. he was my roommate. And I was just like, I think I should do it. Like, I think I should really do it. And, um, but uh, one person who really helped me, I forgot to name was Coach O'Connor though too. Yeah. I remember um, we were about to play, we were about to face Louisville, I remember. And um, that's when I just got invited. That's when uh, they posted everything. Um, and I talked to him about a day after. We sat in the dugout, had a 30-minute conversation saying, like, Coach, like, I, I really want – I told him I, I want to give it up. I want to be here. Mm-hmm. I want to – I think this is my route. And he just gave me, like, the knowledge that he knows and the knowledge – like, he, 
he helped me so much and I can't thank him enough. And without him, I don't know if I would be a hundred percent baseball. Um, I'm sorry, coach Elliot, but, <laughs> uh, but I, yeah, without coach O'Connor, you know, just, just to be around him every single day and taking in the knowledge. And, you know, I think coach O'Connor is one of the greatest coaches to ever coach and UVA baseball wouldn't be UVA baseball without him. So, like I said, he, he was, he was a big part of why I, uh, you know, gave up football, but like I said, everybody else that was involved, like my family, my agent, like mm-hmm. that, those are kind of everything leading up to it. He is such a gem coach. Oak. Like I feel that way too. I feel like lucky to be on the media side and get yeah. to talk to him and learn about the game through him. I feel the exact same way. Um, and, and I think too, like when you, when you think about these people and whatnot and how special they've been for you to make that decision. Um, I, I didn't want to correlate the two, but I'm looking at the timeline and I'm like, dude made team USA. And then it was like, it felt very soon after. And I thought to myself, I wonder if making that team also solidified in your mind that you could do it and you were, um, good enough to compete with the best players in the country. Like, is there a correlation there? Oh, I mean, definitely. Like, you know, you go down there, um, knowing that like the best players in the country are going to be down there, you know, you're, I, what, I think 54 get invited, yeah. I think 54, 52, something, something like, like that. that. And you know, those are 54 of the best players in the country. So with my, like what I went down there is like, Hey, I'm going to go prove why I'm like number one of the one, you know? Yeah. And that was kind of my mindset going down there. And, you know, it's one thing to get invited to that camp, but it's another thing to make that team. And it was like, it, I almost like, like when the coach told me I made it, I was kind of almost like broke down crying. It was just like, like, this is what I've worked all year for, you know, but it doesn't stop here. You know, we got to keep going with it. You know, you made the team, but you all, you still got to go show why, like you're the best pitcher there. So making the team did have like a big impact also on why I gave the sport up. I mean, it's just, you know, you get invited to USA, like that's, that's a big, uh, you know, that's a big accomplishment for, and, you know, a college baseball player. And so I was just like, yeah, I think this is my route after, you know, making the team. I And I, I think that's incredible. I think it's a box along the way, right? But to be in the company of the best, um, I, I would imagine gives you a lot of validation. And, and I think it's incredible. I, I could imagine when you told Coach O'Connor, you told the staff and your friends, and it was probably one relieving, but two really exciting knowing that, all right, now we're going to commit to this. So so now we fast forward, right? You get the summer, you, you get the fall, and, and now we're in the spring and you have been all baseball. So do me a favor, let, reintroduce me to what you bring on the mound. Tell me about your pitches. Tell me how you throw them. Um, and tell me if you're you're learning anything new. Yeah, you know, what I told the team is, uh, you know, what you want to get out of me is competitive and, you know, just the the will of wanting just to win. Um, I, I, I hate losing. Um, you're never going to find – I wasn't going to give hard work. That's not – you know, that's not a question about me. Uh, I just – I feel like once you, you know, you show what you can do out there, but like, what can you show, you know, behind closed doors? And that's how I kind of always like looked at it. Um, but that's my mentality on the mound is, you know, just go out there and compete and attack every hitter. Like they're the same hitter, you know, um, you obviously know what hitters are the, you know, the hitters that can really do damage and you know who can't, but you can't treat 
one hitter differently than the other. It's all got to be the same. And you got to also know that, hey, you can make one great pitch and it still get hits out the park. But you can make one bad pitch and you get a strikeout. So the bads and the goods are going to come. It's just how you overcome that, you know, how you overcome the bad. So, you know, my pitches, uh, I throw four-seam, two-seam, splitter, cutter, and a slider. Mm-hmm. Kind of a lot of pitches. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I like uh, it. Tell me yeah. about them. Yeah. Uh, my splitter, I kind of just developed it, honestly. Um, I have a problem with pronation. I, I'm not very good at it. I, it's because of football. Cause yeah. I throw, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I couldn't throw a changeup. It was hard to throw in like a regular changeup. So I had to figure out something to throw just to be like, okay, throw like a fastball. Uh, I have a cutter, um, kind of like my bread and butter pitch, honestly. Uh, just something that looks like a fastball and then gets away from the bat. Slider, um, just to slow somebody down, slow their eyes down after they see like a heater or a cutter. Uh, two seam, just get like weak contact, ground ball, eat early in the count or something. Um, four seam, kind of has a lot of ride to it. Uh, it plays well up in the zone. Um, Am I missing any? I don't think so. Yeah, I think I named all of them. I think you said them all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so uh, with, with that repertoire that you have and now being able to commit, um, what have you noticed about your pitches, about your mound presence, about what you've been able to do as we are heading into the season? Yeah. What I've noticed is I can use all of them at any part of the game, any count that I can, you know, I can put them in the zone when I want to, and I can put them out the zone when I want to. And I think that's also helped from, you know, having a whole fall and having the spring coming in. I think that also helped. Um, one of my problems last year was being like consistent with my mechanics. Mm. And, um, you know, like, like I said, I would, uh, wake up on Tuesdays at like 5:30 AM go to football and then class and then try to play like a midweek game after. So like, going to throw in a football in the morning and then trying to, you know, have a baseball throw in the afternoon. And it didn't really work out uh, as well as I wanted to. Um, but having that whole winter break and whole fall to just really get those consistent mechanics down, I think really helped my repertoire and how I can, you know, be effective in every single pitch I throw. Yeah. How about what you've learned about yourself? And, and maybe because you haven't had to slice the pie thinner, you've had some time maybe to get to know yourself better or, or you know, you're a college kid too, you know, maybe an opportunity to have a little bit more of that. Like what, what has that been like for you? Yeah, what I've known, what I've learned about myself is um, you're, I learned my ceiling is still pretty high. You know, I, I never, like, I've never had the chance to just work on one sport. I never know how good I could be at one sport if I just, and now like seeing the progress I've made and um, just by, just by focusing on one sport, it's, I'm just like, wow, my ceiling is pretty high. You know, I can't like, just like, I'm glad like that I made that decision and knowing I can go somewhere with that ceiling and how high it is. So I think that's the one thing I've learned about myself and, I think another thing is like just how big confidence plays a you know factor in this. 
I love that answer. That's a really good answer. I, I, I can hear your excitement. I'm excited for you. Last one is about your family. I just want to go back, uh, um, to introduce me to who is in your family and, uh, you know, what, what makes them so special to you? Yeah. So, um, uh, my mom, she, uh, she works at, a she does insurance. So, uh, she deals with claims and everything. Um, she went to Lynchburg university. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, she's from, she's, she's, she's from the country, Appomattox, that area. My dad, um, he, uh, played basketball at Richmond, um, from 84 to 88. He's in the hall of fame there. Uh, I have two sisters, uh, my older sisters, like my half sister. Uh, she works in Pennsylvania right now, I think, I think. Um, and then my younger sister, she's going to Georgia to play basketball. Uh, she's six, three. I wish I got that height. Yeah. She's tall. Uh, my dad's six, my dad's six, seven. So, uh, but my mom, she's five, three. So I think I know who I got. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Is your sister dunking on you? Be honest. Oh, no, 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 no. Be honest. No, 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 no. Not no. yet. No, not, not even yet. Just never, no. never. Never. Oh, okay. We'll have to follow up on that. We'll have to follow up on that for sure. Yeah. But uh, what makes my family so special is just we all compete. Um, We just have all love for each other, no matter what it is. You know, at a young age, obviously, my dad, you know, was the more athletic. You know, he brought that athletic drive to our family. And he just, you know, always made everything a competition. I think that's where I go out there and just wanting to compete on everything. You know, like I said, I hate losing. Um. I remember we played uh, Wii Sports together and uh, like we played baseball and I think I lost and I think I, I threw the controller at the wall and like, it was bad. I It was bad. I got a whooping for it, but, <laughs> but it was just, he, he kind of just told me to always have that, you know, competitive drive and, you know, you got to hate, you know, losing more you love winning. And that's what he taught me. Um, my mom, she just, she's that, she's the backbone of the family. You know, she's always working hard. Um, even on her days off, you know, when I am home, you know, I get, to, I always ask her like, why are you working? Like, it's your day off. And she's just like, ah, she honestly doesn't even know why she does. She, she probably made it a habit, yeah. but just seeing her do that and knowing what she done for our family and what she done for me, you know, obviously I wouldn't be here without her. Um, and two of like, you know, two of the ones that I didn't name was my grandparents. Um, yeah, tell me, you know, luckily, uh, so my grandmother, she was uh, diagnosed with cancer uh, last football season. So not like not this one that just happened, but when I was playing football. Okay. Um, but uh, she made it. So she's okay. Yeah, she's great. Uh, Good. But she just like every time I saw her, she would just smile, and you know, like to my mind, I was like, "Why? How, like, how can you smile like through these hard times?" And it was just like nice to see her always like, you know wanting to see me and wanting to be around the family and smiling and laughing like nothing changed about her when she was diagnosed and I think that's what I kind of you know take from her and my grandparents it's just like hey you could be going through a bad day but somebody could be going through the worst day you know it's and that's why I kind of like bring to the team I told I told the team it's like hey I want to be that shoulder to lean on for everybody it's not you know I don't I want to talk to you if you something's going on in your life tell me about it like I'm here to talk because mm-hmm. I want everybody to be happy. I want them to bring joy to that locker room. And that locker room is like, you know, our safe place, no matter what, you know, nothing bad is going on in our locker room. So that's, you know, that's, 
the break of my family. So, yeah. Dude, that's awesome. That is so, I, I love to hear that. And I, I'm really grateful that you shared and definitely made to mention uh, your grandparents. I think grandparents are the most special people that, that walk the earth. So um, I'm so glad that your grandma is okay and that you have taken something positive from what I'm sure was a tough time for your family. But yeah. you're fantastic. I'm so stoked for your season and I'm very, very grateful for your time. Yeah, thank you for having me. So turning the page on Amateur Hour from Jay to Carson Benj, an athlete who plugged in and really did plug in when he was shut down for quite a while. He was a freshman All-American last year, and when you've lost a year, you're instantly draft eligible. He's playing this season for his team at Oklahoma State, but also for himself to play his way into day one, night one of the MLB Amateur Draft. A wonderful conversation with Carson Benj, who Get to know your two-way players out there. I think we're all curious how long will he be able to do it? Could he be the next guy that does it all the way to the big leagues? Here's our chat with him. Okay. All right, Carson Benj. I've uh, been really excited to get a chance to chat with you and learn a little bit more about who you are, the player, and the person. I know the season is just around the corner for you. So much excitement for Oklahoma State and and that perky orange I was just talking about, I feel like you see that color and it wakes you up and brings you in. But this is an exciting program. Before before we get to to the season and, and things like that, like for you, how has this journey been um, coming to Oklahoma State and, and playing in this program? What's that been like for you? Um, I was recruited kind of late here, I'd say, kind of going into my senior year. I was I kind of like uh, popped up out of nowhere. All my, like my throwing velocity, all my numbers just started going up and through the roof. And that's kind of when I realized I kind of had a shot at going to a big time college. And especially with my brother coming here, it was kind of one of the colleges I definitely knew I wanted to go to. So with that, it kind of made it an easy choice whenever they offered me to be able to come here. I always think a lot of guys and, and we have a lot of guys on, you know, this is really a draft heavy podcast that we do, but I think unironically, a lot of guys who come on here are similar to you in that they weren't necessarily heavily drafted or heavily recruited out of high school and they weren't, they didn't get drafted out of high school. Right. And, and you put mm -hmm. in the work. Um, what are you most proud of about that work that you have put in to now have your name spoken in those draft circles? Um, I feel like the main thing that really boosted me forward was my freshman year surgery because that kind of made me reset a little bit, get back to uh, just hitting everything really hard, whether that be watching different positions on the field and like learning and kind of getting information on how to play it or what to do in certain situations. And being in the weight room the whole time was a was a huge help. So kind of whenever I got back from that, I just hit the ground running and never looked back. It's funny. Why don't you expound upon that? Because I'm always intrigued. Nobody wants to get hurt. Nobody wants to have TJ or an ACL or something like that. But I think what you end up doing is you, gosh, I mean, weirdly enough, like you can watch Shohei Otani doing this right now. Like, weirdly enough, what happens, I think, is you take care of other parts of your body even more so, right? You got to be mm -hmm. careful around that area where you had the major surgery. But all of a sudden, the legs, the core. But I think more than anything, Carson, the mind. You play, you play, you play. You're young, you're talented, you're gifted. You pay attention, you have some lessons. You have teammates, you have coaches. You watch baseball. 
But all of a sudden, it's different when you can't do it at all, isn't it? Explain to me even deeper what you just said, what you learned, how much your mind grew, that muscle called the mind, how much it grew. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of things that went on in baseball that I just quite didn't really understand yet from the high school side transitioning into college. Because let me interrupt you. You didn't have to. You didn't need to, right? No, never. But now here you go. Sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. Yeah, definitely. Competition went way up, so had to make some adjustments. And like all the scouting reports, I've never done that. So kind of we went deep into that, looking at every pitcher, just seeing what they have, making sure you're ready. And uh, like different positions because they like how athletic I am, so I'll so I can fit in just about any position. So I'll learn a bunch of positions like second base or outfield even, because I came in here as an infielder and they kind of switched me over after I had the surgery. Speak to the evolution that you've had. I don't know. I mean, I I can look at your numbers last year, but this isn't a numbers podcast. Physically and maybe stuff-wise, the evolution you've had as a pitcher from, you know, the end of last season until we sit here today. Uh. I feel like throughout the whole last year, I felt like my stuff quite wasn't there or quite where I wanted it to be because I feel like I never really got control of my off speed uh, from whenever I tore my UCL. But I feel like that and the control is has been coming back throughout the summer and the fall, and I feel like I've really put it together to be able to do something with it this spring. How? How did that come together? What would you do? Uh, just through, through more, through more, got more comfortable, focused on landing my off speed for strikes and just really hammered down until it felt like all natural. Hey, what, what makes you better? I mean, we, we know, you know, iron sharpens iron, but being a pitcher, does that make you a better hitter or, or being an offensive threat? Does that make you better on the mound? I'd say both. I'd say seeing what pitches uh, are tough to hit in the box, you can be able to throw that and kind of know what, how tough it is to be able to hit those pitches or whenever you're on the mound, how tough it is to kind of get in there, get on the inside pitch. So always looking away because not many pitchers at this level can stuff three in a row inside. So I feel like it helps on both sides. Do you love one more than the other? Like, are you allowed to say which one you love more? Can you do that? Uh, I can, but I really don't love when I'm on the field pitching. Yeah. I it's kind of equal, but okay. whenever I wouldn't like having five off days in between each start because I just really love being in the game. One more quick one, just to follow up there, D. So you know, I think there's been a rise. We see it obviously a lot more in college of guys who are legitimate two way and there, but the potential that is there. But I think what is so fascinating is like the behind the scenes of really hearing, you know, it takes a toll on X, Y, and Z. And, and I have to do double the work, right? You're not just going out and taking your infield practice and your BP, right? You're also in, in scouting report meetings and, and doing your bullpen. So Walk us through the workload that it is and what it looks like to be a two-way guy. Uh, at Oklahoma State, they're pretty good at it. We've had quite a few two-way guys come through here, and we just got a new one this past year. So they're pretty good on managing our workload. So a normal week would probably be like 
I'd say I'm hitting every day. There's no doubt about that. So I'll go through all my hitting stuff and all that. And then I'd say like twice a week, I'll go off the mound and it'll be like 30, 35 pitches mixing everything and flat ground three times a week, four times a week, just about every day, just to, like I said earlier, get more command of my off-speed stuff. So make sure I got all that down throughout my flat grounds. But for workload, it really isn't as bad as uh, it seems looking from the outside in because I feel like they got a pretty good staff here. Our trainer's amazing. He helps us with everything. So they got a pretty good workload on me. Raised by an all-state wrestler, and if I'm not mistaken, a member of the United States Marine Corps as a, as a veteran, your dad, Kevin. Um, those are two pretty cool things. Those are two tough things, you know, from the outside looking in um, that, that probably galvanize a human being. But he's your dad, and uh, I'd love to know a little bit about your dad, the influence he's had on you, and, and your relationship. Uh, our relationship is, I'd say, top-notch. He's always been there for me. It, it was always... Never went to go to pitching lessons or hitting lessons. It was always just me, him, and my brothers every single time. But growing up with him playing baseball is, is kind of tough because he'd, he'd just be the one dad in the stands yelling at you no matter what what you do. You take one pitch, he'll be yelling at you. But he's definitely gotten way better as a, I've, I've grown up. So, But it's been a fun ride with him, and I'm looking forward to continue it. That's so cool. It's interesting, like the memories of it, you know, being a sports parent myself, they're all done um, with daughters, but having that same kind of passion, we all share it in different ways. But it sounds like what happened is you outgrew his yells. You go to an Oklahoma State game. I mean, Oklahoma State's kind of baseball central. We're seeing, you know, you guys as a team, we're seeing the holiday boys being covered everywhere, you know, all over. That, you've kind of outgrown his yells, yet I'm guessing um, – you still hear them in a, in a good way. You know, the things that did matter to you, the things that do encourage you. The, the game maybe outgrew his knowledge um, because here you are. You're going to be a first-round draft pick, staying healthy. Um, that's got to be cool that that foundation will always be there. Is that fair? Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. And he could still be yelling, just there's a lot more fans. <laughs> in the scene, so I'm not too sure. <laughs> that, that's, that's so amazing. I, I know your brother played um Garrett Boston yes. right 13th round pick in 17 mm -hmm. what what did you learn watching him not the obvious answer please something that maybe might surprise any of us or, or, or you communicated to him what did you learn watching him go through that um growing up I kind of had no clue what pro ball or college ball even had in the store so I was kind of just always one of the better players on my team always just like going through it and just showing up and being one of the best. So what I learned through him was like, there's like a whole nother level of competition and a whole nother level of long days and hard work, all that stuff you have to put in if you want to, if you want to make it to the top, especially through the minor leagues with how gritty you have to be to be able to make it through and soar up the ranks. Youngest of four. We talked a little bit about this before you hopped on D. So Garrett, Tyler, Sydney, and then Carson. And I think it's pretty phenomenal. You all, you're all pretty close in age as well. And obviously the connection you have with Garrett, uh, with baseball and what he, he did. Could you maybe give us a little piece of each sibling and what you feel like you've 
you get from them or, or what's important in your relationship with them. I mean, I, I'm, I'm technically an only, I can't imagine having three older siblings. I'm really jealous of that. So, you know, clue me in a little bit. Okay. So Garrett's my oldest and, uh, me and him always just talk about baseball or different stuff like that. So we keep in touch quite a bit. And then Tyler's right below him. And he's kind of the outgoing brother. He'll talk to anyone and everyone. So he'll kind of bring me out of my shell a little bit, make me go talk to people, all that different stuff. And then Sydney's kind of the one that's that always comes up to Stillwater, that always helped me out. She's always there for me. So I appreciate all of them for the different stuff they do for me. Yeah. Do you feel like they have been in their own way a part of, because I almost wonder if you being naive to what college ball was, what pro ball was actually helped you because you haven't burned out. It sounds like you haven't, you know, run yourself into the ground quite yet. It sounds like you've had a really nice natural progression. Have they been a big part of that and, and, and your dad as well? Yeah, definitely. They all, they all love to, push me, push my buttons, make sure I'm doing the right thing and keep me on track so I can either stay healthy or play at the top of my game. That's great. Real quickly, my last one is just kind of just looking at some of your numbers, wanting to hear your thoughts. Um, When a hitter does what he does and does damage and slugs close to 550, as you did last year, yet walks more than he strikes out, you're naturally intrigued. You just are. Um, especially in, you know, the lift and separate generation, which is, which is wonderful. What are some, what are some of the, the things for you that matter in the box? This can be a mechanical or a mental thing, but when someone does damage and walks more than they strike out, it's different. It's unique. Um, I'd say the main thing is it's always kind of come natural to me, uh, taking the ball the other way. So I feel like that helps quite a bit, which is where I was mostly pitched last year. But my thing is kind of staying staying short to the ball and make sure I'm not overswinging. Because when I overswing, my swing can disconnect a little bit. But if I stay short and through it, then I feel like not a lot of people can get me out. That, that, that trust, you say it comes natural, but that trust is, we always talk about it. It's like a bridge. I can remember talking to, we, Danny and I on this show talked to Nolan Shanowell about mm. that last year. Um, it may come natural, but then there's that trust where it's like, I, I, I'm okay. I'm seeing velo like I've never seen before, but I'm good. I'm good with trusting, letting it go deeper, trusting who I am. Um, I know it comes natural, but was there a time where you even crossed over the bridge more to where you really kind of burnt the bridge and didn't go back? Um, I'd say not really, because even in T-ball. That's a always, gift then. That's a gift. I was always hitting the ball the other way, even when the ball was still. So it's always been in there. Just yeah. Kind of a little more difficult to pull the ball now with all the velo. So I guess it's a little blessing. Yeah, the hits still count the other way. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You don't have to pull it. <laughs> you don't have to pull it. That's exceptional. I love that. Carson, thank you for your time. We are really excited for you this season, but seriously grateful to get to know a little bit more about you. Thank you. All right, friends, it is the start of college baseball. The 2024 season is upon us. And so we're bringing back our scouts' eyes. This week, we've got Perfect Games scout Craig Cozart to break it all down. It's a big season. There's a ton of storylines, and we got you covered. Take it away. All right, college baseball fans, it's finally that time of year. Here we are just around the corner from opening day. 
and it's time to take a look at some things to anticipate and look forward to in this year's college baseball season. Craig Cozart here with you to talk about some things to look out for, um, some intriguing storylines, some players to watch, and uh, let's dive into it. I think the first thing that we uh, are looking at that's you know, kind of a sad story at times, but it's obviously an evolution in our game as this is the last go-around for the Pac-12. Uh, Oregon, UCLA, Southern Cal, and Washington will be departing after this year for the Big Ten. Arizona State, Arizona, and Utah will be heading to the Big 12. And oddly enough, uh, Cal and Stanford will be going into the ACC. Um, so that'll be an interesting thing to see develop uh, in the 2025 season. Uh, also, uh, yet to be decided, Oregon State and Washington State, as we currently uh, sit, do not have a home uh, for next year, and uh, that's going to be interesting to see how that develops as we go along. The second storyline is, uh, once again, and it seems to be a common theme every year, but so be it, the SEC continues to dominate the landscape of college uh, baseball. Five of the top ten teams in our perfect game preseason rankings are uh, from the SEC. Arkansas comes in at number two, LSU number three, Florida number four, Vanderbilt number six, and Texas A&M in at seven. Eight total SEC teams are in our preseason top 25 poll, with Tennessee coming in at 11, South Carolina 13, Auburn at 15. And out of our preseason top 40 that we ranked, 11 of the SEC programs are in there because Alabama came in at 26, Kentucky at 31, and Georgia at 36. We can move on now to the story of the year uh, as we head into the season, and that is the Wake Forest Demon Deacons being the consensus number one across all polls, uh, no matter which poll you look at. Coming off an amazing 2023 season uh, where they won 54 games, uh, they were the ACC regular season champions. They hosted and swept a home regional and super regional, and then went 2-0 and in the College World Series before they ran into the eventual national championship uh, winning Louisiana State Tigers. Uh, Wake Forest comes into the 2024 season with even higher expectations, which is pretty impressive. Just to give you an idea of what their roster looks like, uh, we have them as our preseason player of the year uh, with perfect game. Nick Kurtz, the first baseman from Wake Forest, is our pick for player of the year. Our pick for perfect game pitcher of the year preseason is transfer Chase Burns. Uh, they have three perfect game preseason All-Americans, including left-handed pitcher Josh Hartle, who had an amazing season last year. And uh, they also have at least three guys on the preseason Golden Spikes watch list. Uh, when you look at their rotation, when it goes Josh Hartle, Chase Burns, and then Michael Massey, you're looking at three guys that could potentially go off the board in the first round uh, in our coming Major League uh, draft. Staying with that theme about uh, evolution of conferences within college baseball, Texas and Oklahoma are making their last go-around in the Big 12 as they depart for the SEC. So it'll be interesting to see how those uh, long-standing rivalries within the Big 12 end up going this year, both Texas and Oklahoma uh, reloaded Oklahoma just outside our top 25 preseason, uh, Texas well within it. Both teams have high expectations. Uh, we're also looking at some other scenarios. Um, it was neat to uh, take a look at some of the non-power fives that are alive and well across the nation. 
we had teams like Perennial Power East Carolina coming in at number 17. They're reloaded and ready to go for this year, led by Trey Savage, one of the best pitchers in the nation. Number 24 preseason, UC Santa Barbara has arguably the best one-two punch in the nation. Uh, Matt Ager possessing one of the best fastballs uh, in the country. Number 25, Coastal Carolina, Gary Gilmore's last go-around before uh, he retires, so I would imagine the Chanticleers are well-motivated to send him off in uh, great fashion to see if they can make another run at Omaha. Uh, DBU, Dallas Baptist, of course, always in the mix, comes in at number 29. Number 33, Southern Miss, Christian Ostrander taking over uh, for Scott Berry uh, in that historic program, one of the best mid-major programs uh, ever, quite honestly, as far as consistency is concerned, and they've made a couple trips to Omaha. Number 37, Campbell. Uh, they will have great arms again this year. Uh, don't be surprised if they don't win another league championship as they move on to the Coastal Athletic Conference that was formerly known as uh, the Colonial, and uh, we should never forget about UConn. We have them coming in at number 38 this year. Uh, always an outstanding club. They always play well on the road early. They're always battle-tested. And uh, they're always a team that we expect to play well come NCAA tournament time. Two teams that I wanted to kind of highlight that it was neat to see uh, them in the preseason rankings. It hasn't been that common of late. uh, But number 16, Iowa Hawkeyes come in uh, screaming into the polls based on what they have coming back. Tremendous arms on the mound. Brody Brecht arguably uh, the best right-hander in the nation with the most explosive stuff. And then number 20, Kansas State, uh, and they're extremely talented club, and uh, they have something to prove after being left out of last year's NCAA field. So going to be great to watch those clubs. On a player-to-player basis, some things to look for. Who are Golden Spikes Award candidates? Obviously, we have to look at Jack Caglione at the University of Florida, the best two-way player in the nation, to see if he can follow up on what he did last year. An amazing offensive productive last year with, uh, I believe he ended up with 33 home runs. Uh, Of course, left-handed arm that's up to 99 miles an hour will be in the rotation for the Gators. J.J. Weatherholt, one of the most comprehensive offensive players that we've seen in college baseball in the past decade. Uh, With his on-base percentage well over 500, he hit... Um, 460 last year. Uh, Just an amazing offensive player at West Virginia. Nick Kurtz, uh, who we mentioned already at Wake Forest with his advanced approach at the plate with power line to line. He's got a chance to be 1-1. Josh Hartle, who was a workhorse last year through over 100 innings for the Wake Forest Demon Deacons, has got to be a guy that we look at as he won 11 games last year. And uh, when we go to the Northwest at Oregon State, uh, then we have to look at Travis Bazana, uh, the Australian who uh, went to the Cape and continued his domination with the stick. Uh, one of the most talented offensive players, one of the most explosive players in the nation. So those are some guys that jump out at you immediately as Golden Spikes Award candidates. Then the as we have entered the world of NIL, uh, of only 20 rounds in the Major League Draft, what we're seeing now is that you've got first-rounders uh, landing on campus at a much higher rate. So who are those potential first-round freshmen that landed on campus uh, instead of going in the draft last year? The first guy that comes to mind is Drew Burris out of Georgia Tech. Um, word is that he is 
right now, as we speak, possibly the best player on that roster, and that's uh, not to impugn the roster at Georgia Tech. That's just obviously high praise for Drew Burris. Cam Johnson, the monster freshman left-handed pitcher at LSU, uh, fastball approaching 100 miles an hour. He's six foot five, 250 pounds. Uh, strike thrower, wipeout slider. Liam Peterson, uh, another monster on the mound at, down at Gainesville at the University of Florida with his mid to upper 90s fastball coming out of his six foot six frame is amazing. And then maybe one of the most polished freshmen we've seen go to campus in a long, long time uh, from a defensive standpoint or just an overall standpoint when you're talking about somebody playing in the middle of the field. UCLA boasts uh, Rock Chalowski, who will start for them at shortstop and be right in the middle of that lineup. Another intriguing storyline is always to watch these super sophomores avoid that dreaded slump uh, that you often hear about guys that had monster freshman years and are coming back as sophomores. And, you know, do they try to do too much or do they stay within themselves and uh, repeat their performance? Ethan Petrie, National Player of the Year last year as a freshman. Um, well, National Freshman of the Year, I should specify, according to Perfect Game at South Carolina. Uh, one of the most um, amazing power threats uh, in all of college baseball. Cam Canarella just up the road at Clemson. Uh, your consummate leadoff type hitter, but he's got enough juice to run a ball out of the ballpark. Explosive player, plus defender. Uh, runs like crazy on the bases is another guy that uh, you want to see follow up his re- repeat performance as he almost batted 400 as a freshman. Five-tool guy Cam Smith down at Florida State. Uh, had a so-so freshman year. Showed the potential that he has legitimately five tools and then went to the Cape and, ha- and performed at an all-star level. Uh, so he's put himself into the uh, national landscape from that standpoint. And then let's go out west and talk about uh, Anthony Martinez at UC Irvine, who batted 394 with 11 home runs and 60-some RBIs as a freshman. So look for those sophomores to follow up on uh, tremendous freshman years. Then what juniors will make a jump? Uh, we've already talked about Brody Brecht. He's got a chance to be the Paul Skeens of last year, in our opinion, with his uh, fastball that'll reach 102 miles an hour and wipe out slider. A guy that's been kind of hiding in the weeds, so to speak, and is ready to have a breakout season after he had a good showing at USA Trials this summer was Carter Holton, left-handed pitcher out of Vanderbilt, uh, who it looks like he's ready to finally Uh, maximize his capabilities and have a monster year for the Commodores. Ryan Johnson at Dallas Baptist, big right-hander with an unusual delivery with a mid-90s fastball and a wipeout slider, just creates a lot of uncomfortable swings, no matter if they're right-handed or left-handed hitters. And then go to the Northeast at Northeastern University, Mike Sirota, five-tool guy, uh, explosive five-tool player, center fielder for the Northeastern guy that's got a chance to go well into the first round uh, if he puts together another quality year as a junior. Then last but not least, let's talk about the portal stars that will make an impact. Uh, Braden Montgomery comes to mind, arguably the most tools tools up, uh, tools out uh, transfer that we have at Texas A&M. Fastball up to 99 miles an hour. Uh, he's got a chance to hit 20 home runs from the left side for the Aggies this year. Chase Burns, of course, lands on campus at Wake Forest with his fastball that has been reported up to 103 already in early spring practices uh, and a low 90s slider. Peyton Tolley leaves Wichita State, goes to TCU. Legitimate two-way guy, left-handed pitcher. Uh, can swing the stick. He's going to impact both sides of the ball uh, for the Horn Frogs. Colby Shelton. Uh, heads back to his home state, lands at the University of Florida. Big-time left-handed juice. He's going to try to convert to shortstop. 
and we are hearing good things about him handling the glove in the middle of the field. Mason Molina, of course, now is at Arkansas. Uh, right-handed pitcher that is going to round out that Arkansas rotation and give them three potential first-rounders. And Billy Amick goes across uh, the mountains from Clemson to the University of Tennessee, where he will take his power stick and clean glove at third base to Rocky Top and make an impact for the Vols in a big way. Opening weekend, like we said, is just around the corner. Some big series to look forward to. Uh, the MLB Desert Invitational will feature Kansas State, Cal, Boston College, and Georgetown. Going to be a great series. Pete Hughes is scheduled great. There's no way he's going to let his club be left out of the selection committee this year for the big dance. Mike New hopes to bounce back with Cal and avoid the injuries that they incurred early in the season. Uh, Todd Intranado is a first-year coach at Boston College after he left a very successful program at Wofford. And, of course, Edwin Thompson at Georgetown has won back-to-back 30-win seasons, so let's see if he can go down to the desert and make a, uh, an impression by winning a couple games. So that's going to be a great series to watch or a great tournament to watch. And then how about this series out west? Cal State Fullerton and at Stanford to open up the season. Two blue bloods on the west coast are going to get after it. It's going to be a tremendous way to open up the season. Jason Dietrich is uh, doing some good things with that program. Got a young club. Uh, they're going to cut their teeth immediately against Dave Esker and his crew, who are looking to make their fourth consecutive College World Series appearance. UC Santa Barbara is making their way east to Bowie's Creek, North Carolina, to play against the Campbell Camels. So you have two of the best mid-major programs in the nation, especially when you talk about pitching development. It is going to be power arm after power arm. Andrew Checkets has always done a great job with his arms. Hudson Barrett's one of the best starters in the nation, and we already talked about Matt Ager and his fastball. Justin Hare continues to put out arm after arm, but he has lost in Harrell returning uh, positionally, who was the Big South Player of the Year last year and going to lead that club into a new conference. And last but not least, you have the Shriners uh, Children's College Showdown at Globe Life Field, Texas Tech, Oklahoma, Baylor, and Tennessee all on tap for that one. Uh, so it's going to be great to see Tim Tadlock lead his club back out there again. Uh, consistent winners, consistent national champion uh, contenders, Skip Johnson Sooners, Maybe a little bit overlooked going into the preseason. Really good club. Uh, they've got a chance to make some significant noise. Mitch Thompson's right in the ship in Baylor. If there's anybody to do it, it's Mitch. He understands that program. Was there for 18 years as an assistant coach. And uh, they're going to do good things in the near future, if not this year. And then, of course, Tony Vitello has that reloaded team. The Vols uh, ready to make some noise and uh, see if they get that club back to Omaha. Regardless, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Get out and root on your clubs and understand we are in the golden age of college baseball. So let's get out and enjoy it and take care. Another well-produced show, Wax Figure. I mean, just an incredible job. I, I think I think what I loved going back, something that kind of snuck in, and uh, I know now everyone's listened or watched um, you, your interview with Jay, is how much credit he gives Brian O'Connor. That seems like low-hanging fruit. That seems like obvious that I'm pointing that out to the viewer and the listener. But he went above and beyond to make it clear that this is the reason I really, really made this decision. Now, he consulted. He mentioned his agent multiple times. He mentioned his family consulting with them. But then he basically paused and said, but I don't do this without O'Connor.
And I'm going to guess because we haven't specifically, and I know you think a lot of, of Oaks, as you call him. I, I, I can't. I don't know him that well. But, 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 I, but I'm going to guess he handled it the right way. I'm going to guess he handled it on the high road where he empowered the athlete to make the decision and didn't nudge him or nudge him or push him or shove him to be like, hey, I need more of you. I need more of you. Because I think you lose a lot of talented athletes when you do that. There's just another check in the box for this great college coach, the way that Jay praised him. Imagine, you know, you step foot on campus as a freshman and your college baseball coach and your college football coach support you in every avenue and wherever you want to explore and whatever you want to do. And I'd imagine that he got their respect as well for being a guy who's a dual sport athlete at the highest level in the ACC. And then he goes to make the decision. And I think that what I know about Brian O'Connor is how nurturing he is and caring he is for the people around him and making sure I, I listened to an interview we did after Jay had a tough outing and, and everyone wondered, well, will you, will you still use him? Will, will you still trust him? And he's like, yeah, a hundred percent. This doesn't change anything. This is a kid, right? This is a good thing. This is okay to have happen. And I think that if you know anything about Oak or Jay Wolfolk, then I think it makes a lot of sense. And I'm just really glad that he had the support. I imagine it's a little terrifying to cut off, you know, to cut your heart in half, right? And have to make that decision and decide this is my path and this is where I can have a future. And that's, that's I'm sure, a really stressful moment. But I think it just speaks volumes to the staff and to what Virginia has been able to do for Jay. But yeah, it's, it's really exciting. I think for hardcore college baseball fans to know that Jay is going to have this full season under his belt, no split time, no spring split time, no fall, no summer. Um, it was all baseball is pretty awesome. Uh, it's Oak or Oaks. Which one is the appropriate? Just Oak. Nickname? Just Oak. Yeah. No S. <laughs> have you gotten your college baseball play-by-play -play schedule yet from ESPN? You'll learn. I'm, I am. It's, it is coming in. It's uh, all ACC, baby. All ACC. Okay. All ACC. So you, a ton of ACC. Yeah. So you're all ACC. I have, um, well, Pac-12, but, but, but I will, but who knows when you've seen this or, or, or seen it or, or watching it or listened to it, but I've got a chance to see Kansas State, Ohio State, ASU, Arizona, uh, Washington, Oregon State, Stanford. Those are the teams that I'm around so far this year. So Wonderful. We'll see. Look at us go. We almost have the whole country covered. We're trying. We're trying. And now some of those schools that I will see will be in the ACC next year. <laughs> So another feather in the cap of the Pac-12. Yay, way to go, I think. I'm not sure. So listen, if you've watched this on Perfect Game TV, we're glad. It looks good. Um, Danny's our producer. Tori Olivo's our editor. We appreciate that, certainly. Um, make sure you, you go subscribe wherever you, wherever you find your podcasts. And uh, listen, if you happen to be flying, traveling, driving, walking, working out, and you want to listen to great, great names around the sport that are going to change the sport, like a Nolan Chenoweth, who's probably the first baseman for the Angels on opening day when they get going here uh, after spring training wraps. He was the last guest on last year's Amateur Hour. So do all that. Make sure you stay loyal to us, and uh, we appreciate it. We love the sport like you. This is Amateur Hour. See you next time.